Welcome to Voices of Esalen, I'm Sam Stern. My guest today is Sarah Gale, harm reduction officer at the MAPS-sponsored Zendo Project. Sarah received her master's degree in transpersonal counseling psychology at Naropa University. She started working with MAPS in 2012, coordinating psychedelic harm reduction services at festivals and events worldwide with the Zendo Project. Sarah served as Director of Harm Reduction at MAPS from 2017 to 2020, and she continues to train individuals and organizations in principles of psychedelic peer support. Sarah is a therapist from MAPS Clinical Trials of MDMA-assisted psychotherapy for PTSD in Boulder, Colorado, and she also maintains a private practice as a psychotherapist specializing in trauma, integration, non-ordinary states of consciousness, and ketamine-assisted psychotherapy. She's presented at conferences, universities, and events around the world, serves on the board of directors at Dance Safe, and as the harm reduction advocate on the City of Denver Psilocybin Policy Review Panel. Sarah believes that developing a comprehensive understanding of psychedelic medicines through research and education is essential for the health and well-being of individuals, communities, and the planet. Before we get into all that, do you want to know more about sacred plant medicine and psilocybin? If you're interested, I encourage you to register for Esalen's upcoming series with Entheo Wheel. Learn everything you want to know as Esalen presents DNA Journeys Entheo Wheel, the ceremony and science of psilocybin. This educational and experiential event will be live streamed from Esalen from April 23rd to April 26th, 2021. The online odyssey will be guided by Jyoti Ma, Sochil Ash, Paul Stamets and Pam Criscow, East Forest, Milana Snow, Justin Bereda, Alan Bediner, Dream Mulek, James Fadiman, Robin Carhart-Harris, Grace O, Rada Wapner, and a digital transmission from Francois Borzat. So secure your place for this online experience now with the link in our show notes or go to esalen.org visit. Also, scholarships for BIPOC folks who want to attend are available. Just use the link in our show notes to apply. Now here's Sarah Gale. Yeah, so I thought it might be useful to start kind of broadly and ask you, what is the Zendo Project for those who don't know? Yeah, so the Zendo Project is a department or a project of the Multidisciplinary Association for Psychedelic Studies, MAPS. And it is the flagship program of our harm reduction department. And the Zendo Project officially started in 2012 with an event that we did or um, with services that we provided at Burning Man. We help people at events and festivals primarily who are having challenging psychedelic experiences, uh, challenging emotional uh, responses to psychedelics. Um, we are a um, emotional support service, so we don't provide um, medical care. We uh, work with the event and festival medical in order to help people who are having any medical crisis. And we have been providing these services at dozens of events all around the world. And since 2012, we've been able to assist over 6,000 people in our space. We also train people and provide education and outreach focused on drug education and helping people be more responsible, aware, and intentional around their substance use, uh, specifically psychedelic, but other as well. Why do you think harm reduction in particular is so crucial in regards to psychedelics and also the way that they're integrated uh, into everyday society? Yeah, so what a lot of uh, listeners are 
likely aware of is that we're in the middle of this huge psychedelic renaissance. Um, every day there's more and more information coming out around the potential benefits of psychedelics in therapy and healing and also a widespread decriminalization here in the U.S., really starting to change the landscape of psychedelic substances. And we're seeing that more of the general population is becoming more both aware as well as interested. And the stigma is really starting um, to shift and change this, the, this sort of decades long stigma around psychedelics that really began in earnest, I think in the sixties. And so right now we're really seeing that there's a big shift and people are really starting to wake up and become aware of the potential possibilities of integration of psychedelics into society. And at MAPS and with the Zendo project, we really feel that it's important that as we explore the potential benefits of psychedelics, that we also um, make room to address the risks associated with psychedelic use. There's risks associated with the use of any substance, whether it's illicit or not. Uh, pharmaceutical drugs also have risks. And, and so we really believe that if we are going to responsibly um, really discuss as a society the benefits that we also have to be aware of and uh, be informed and help inform others, about how to navigate the complex terrain of psychedelics. So psychedelics can have effects that are very varied and are uh, by their nature can help people access really expanded states of consciousness. And because of that, you know, there's potential for people to have challenging experiences, emotionally, psychologically challenging experiences. It's very vast and um, at times challenging and difficult terrain. Here at the Zendo Project, we really believe that it's our responsibility to assist in the, the education of, uh, of society and uh, make sure that people are just aware of all of the information that's, that is out there and that people are developing around psychedelic substances. So you mentioned that the Zendo Project has been around since 2012. Were there any precursors to, to the Zendo Project that Zendo was modeled around? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So MAPS um, has actually been doing harm reduction and what we call psychedelic peer support services since really the early 2000s. And MAPS was involved in helping to bring volunteers to festivals and events and help other uh, groups and communities offer peer support services at their events. And we did this at places like Burning Man, like Boom Festival in Portugal, where drugs are decriminalized for personal use in Portugal, uh, Shambhala in Canada, and a few other smaller events all around the world. So even though the Zendo Project wasn't formally formed until 2012, MAPS hasn't been involved in this work for, for a while, for about 20 years now. The work that we do uh, at MAPS around harm reduction is really informed by decades of knowledge, wisdom, tools, techniques, and information that has been developed and built by the psychedelic movement and by people who've been involved in psychedelic research, psychedelic therapy, both underground as well as above ground, as well as you know, people who have just been going to uh, or exploring psychonauts who've been exploring psychedelic medicines for, for a very long time. 
And uh, we also believe that it's really important to uh, pay homage as well to centuries of indigenous use of these medicines and learn from from past you know practices mm. around there there are cultures um, there are have been and still are cultures that have integrated psychedelic medicines into into their practices and so there's a lot of information out there and so when maps developed the Zenda project we created a manual it was our volunteer training manual and we drew from all of these uh, different areas and people who had developed expertise after years and years of, of studying and exploring with these medicines how do you deal with a situation if it come becomes kind of violent or, or aggressive you, you mentioned working in tandem with with medical teams and I yeah could you just speak a, a bit to that yeah, so we do, uh, you know, we're really lucky at festivals and events to, uh, they're kind of these little microcosms of society in a way, um, where you do have people who are uh, working, you have medics, you have security, you have law enforcement at these events, you have different other organizations that might be providing, you know, crisis intervention teams, mental health crisis intervention teams, and things like that. So uh, we really have the opportunity to collaborate with these different departments at the events that we work at. And it's really necessary. Um, we couldn't really do this work at events if there weren't these other departments that are open and willing to collaborate with us. So our success really depends on this collaboration. People do have experiences on psychedelics where uh, they might, uh, their behavior and their awareness of themselves and their boundaries and the boundaries of others um, may not be really intact. And so when that happens, if someone does become aggressive, uh, we attempt, we, we do have tools that we teach our volunteers and our staff to help de-escalate de situations. And really there's a lot that can be done between the line, the line between aggressive and violent is actually um, an interesting one, right? Because, you know, one of the things that we see in the Zendo is that people, emotions are coming up for people that may, they may have repressed that the, the psychedelic is catalyzing the release and of some emotion. And one of those emotions can be anger. And anger is a really, just like other emotions, um, often really vilified in our society. We don't really have tools for transmuting, working with anger. I believe that there's a lot that we need to do as, as humans to learn how to make relationship with our, our anger. And so a lot of what we do is, is recognizing the importance of people tapping into the emotion of anger um, to help set boundaries around expression. So, you know, it's okay to feel this, it's okay to express this, but you can't express it in violent ways. So there's a lot that can be done to help de-escalate a situation. And what we see with some of the outdated ways of dealing with people who are having behavioral um, adverse experiences on psychedelics are very heavy-handed um, ways. And what part of what the Zendo really does is we focus on de-escalation. Um, we're a non-restrained, non-sedate model. So if a situation does escalate into violence, then we do work with the security uh, staff at events. And then if they need additional support or we need additional support, then um, at times that we also um, have worked alongside law enforcement as well. So what do you envision as the future of the Zendo project? Where would you like to see it go? And in which ways would you like to see it grow? Mm, yeah, so <laughs> it's interesting. I mean, right now with COVID, and obviously we're having this conversation, 
and uh, events and festivals are not happening. And right. we've, we've really, uh, since, since the quarantines began, we really have been focusing our efforts as a department towards our education, outreach, and curriculum. So uh, just because there's not events and festivals doesn't mean that there's not psychedelic use happening and and many people are are still choosing to use psychedelics in uh, their homes. I, I really feel that the Zendo Project's work has never been just to remain in events and festivals. I see transformational festivals as these places where we come together as community and we try and we experiment at different ways of, of trying to create a better a better world. And so I see that these festivals and events, um, it's, it's always going to be important to have these types of services at places where people are taking psychedelics in, in ga large gatherings, mass gatherings, or are, are, they're going to come back, most likely. They're always going to be a staple and part of you know, humans love to gather together. And um, so that will always be important. But I really see that the work that we've been doing with the Zendo Project has, has always been about being able to take what we've learned at these festivals and taking them out into society. So um, we're, we're doing that right now, a few different initiatives. So right now we're really uh, focused on expanding our curriculum and we're going to be looking at all of what we've learned over the years in our manual and everything that we've created and we're looking at how to get that curriculum um, out to more people uh, to more countries you know in some way so we've been doing these public trainings for many years where people come and and uh, we have these day-long peer support trainings. And so we're working to integrate those more into an online format. And we're working to um, bring this training and this education and outreach uh, to more communities. And that includes uh, other professional communities as well. So, you know, what we do is peer support. So our volunteers come from a wide variety of backgrounds. But the work that we do is also really applicable to other professionals who might encounter people who are having challenging psychedelic experiences. Mm -hmm. And that includes paramedics, uh, law enforcement, security, uh, social workers, like social worker co uh, response units, beha behavioral health, people who deal with um, behavioral health situations involving substances. And so we're working right now actually with the city of Denver. Um, to help implement a uh, multi-responder harm reduction training for those um, particular departments. And so that's one of the things that we're really focused on here in Denver. And one of the reasons we're able to do that here in Denver is because psilocybin was decriminalized in 2019. And so we are, we are working with um, the city of Denver. Um, I actually have been sitting on a, a panel when the initiative uh, passed in 2019. Uh, part of that, uh, the agreement with the city was that a panel would be put together that would include members of the community, members of other public health and safety departments, law enforcement, and the district attorney, and as well as um, some psychedelic advocates and activists. And so I joined that panel in, in uh, 2019 and uh, as a harm reduction advocate. And so as part of that panel and with collaboration with MAPS, we are working on developing this citywide curriculum. Mm. So that's some of what we've been up to um, with uh, not having events and festivals this year. Well, it's, it's kind of interesting when I, I think about harm reduction in regards to psychedelics. Obviously, it just kind of gives a good name to the entire project. It kind of underpins it with positive regard for humans. 
And when I think about festivals, it's kind of just so cool that there's an organization that are gathered there to give some sort of therapeutic support, whether it's for psychedelics or not. I mean, these situations can be challenging. I was listening to an interview that you did with, I believe it was Psychedelics Today, where you mentioned that not everybody who comes to the Zendo Project is actually on psychedelics. Yeah, and that number is, is really the percentage of people who come to us um, who are not actually on a substance has, I think, increased over the years as people have become more aware of the work that we do. Uh, so, you know, once we've been at a an event for a couple years, then the attendees start to catch on and uh, learn about what we do. And then oftentimes at these events, uh, or m- most often, there's not really a place where people can go and just receive uninterrupted support from someone who during their volunteer shift, their sole purpose is just to be there and, you know, and listen and provide that support. And so I think it's people recognize that that's a gift. And I think that when they're having challenging times with, if they can recognize that those services are available and come to us, uh, it's, it's wonderful. I think it's a a great evolution of the service Mm. and you're right. Things are really challenging. Things are really difficult uh, at festivals, events, and just in everyday life, and people need that support. And, and I think that the, the kind of real world, or the, not real world, but the kind of um, application of that to the rest of society, I think, is that peer support services, I believe, are going to be, we're going to start seeing psychedelic or otherwise, are uh, going to be, I think, really important in mental health in the coming years. And, you know, I, I kind of see, um, COVID as a psychedelic in itself, where it's, it's a, we call psychedelic, we call psychedelics these nonspecific amplifiers. And I really feel that's what COVID's done. It's really amplified so many things in our society that need healing. It's amplified inequity. It's amplified societal issues. You know, the, the failures of our medical system, of our mental health system, of our political system. And we're really starting to, to see you know, through the veil of, of all of these different systems that are, are really built upon paradigms that are crumbling right now, um, old paradigms of uh, colonialist patriarchal frameworks that are now really just coming apart at the seams. So uh, I think that peer support, you know, one of those, those systems that we're seeing is the mental health system and the failures of the mental health system. And, and I think that uh, it's really, I think it's going to be really important for alternative models of emotional support, like peer support, to be able to be available to people. There are situations and times where what people need is, is therapy and professional therapy support. And then there, I think there's a huge uh, gap where people could just use some emotional support from their peers. And so I think that we'll start to see peer support really step in to fill that role in the coming years. Mm. You've worked on both phase two and phase three of the MAPS MDMA-assisted psychotherapy for PTSD. Can you say more about that? Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, I've been working with, uh, in addition to the work that I've been doing, the Zendo Project, I have been working with MAPS and MAPS Public Benefit Corporation. And um, I've been a therapist on the the phase two and phase three studies since about 2013. We have just recently completed uh, our first of two phase three studies in MDMA-assisted psychotherapy for post-traumatic stress. Yeah, we're really seeing some some promising results from this research, and uh, we 
you know, this has been going on. Rick started MAPS in 1986, and uh, that was around the time that MDMA was um, became a Schedule One substance um, with no real, uh, there isn't, that wasn't really a, a research or fact-informed uh, decision. Um, and uh, in the, over the past 30 plus years, uh, Rick has really focused all of his attention and MAPS's primary and main focus has been obviously bringing this, doing this research to explore the potential for MDMA in, in treating PTSD. So let me ask you, are there elements to your work with psychedelic therapy that have kind of seeped into your clinical practice with clients who, who don't use psychedelics? Has the psychedelic experience taught you about modes of human psychology, the way we process things, the way we can work through things? Yeah, so I think it, it might be helpful for the, for the listeners to know that in addition to MDMA-assisted psychotherapy, that one of the other um, substances, psychedelics that I've worked with in a therapeutic capacity has been ketamine. And I did, um, I was a practitioner of ketamine-assisted psychotherapy for a couple of years here at a clinic in Boulder. And yeah, I, I think that one of the things that working with psychedelics has given me insight into is people's defense mechanisms. Mm -hmm. So um, psychedelics can really help with helping people get out of their own way. Uh, some of those defense mechanisms can fall away with MDMA. People can feel more open, connected, less fear. So kind of the normal uh, or the regular <laughs> defense mechanisms that come into play that kind of keep people from being able to, to do deep healing work. I've seen that, yeah, psychedelics have helped me understand more about those, those blocks that people have and the wisdom of those blocks. You know, I think that one of the things that we see in therapy that's so that can be so challenging with people is the is the unconscious resistance to um, to looking at things because it's understandable we experience traumatic events in our lives it's painful to go back and feel those things to feel those emotions and have those memories and and so it's understandable that we sort of disconnect or try to push those things away and I think that one of the things that psychedelics have the potential to do in the right set and setting is to really help people move past that, to be able to access some of these repressed um, feelings, thoughts, and memories, and to be able to start to learn from their past and be able to integrate those experiences into their lives so that they're no longer operating from a, you know, from a trauma standpoint from a, a lens of seeing the world through their trauma and through their past, but are able to uh, kind of integrate their, their past experiences so that they can move forward. Yeah, and also uh, the, the mode of therapy um, that I'm trained in, uh, or one of the modes is transpersonal counseling psychology, which uh, really kind of emerged as a, as a uh, modality and practice from the psychedelic 60s. So it's really informed um, by the exploration of non-ordinary states of consciousness, um, which can be accessed in many ways, not just psychedelics, mm -hmm. like meditation, um, dance, movement, all kinds of things. And so having that transpersonal framework um, is, is really 
a lot about seeing that people are really embedded within the systemic structures that we are a part of and that we are consistently impacted and affected by those structures. So rather than seeing an individual who's struggling and suffering as um, just in their own little isolated bubble and that everything that's going on for them is just their own biographical experience, relating people's suffering and pain to what's going on in the world right now. And I think right now we're seeing that at, at a time now that's become really clear, you know, how what's happening in the world around us is directly impacting, you know, and now it's normal with COVID right now for people to just, uh, you know, be like, yes, everything is, everything sucks. <laughs> it's COVID, right? And so transpersonal therapy kind of looks at like that, that that's always going on. It didn't just happen when COVID started, that we're really impacted by um, all of these external things. And I think that working with psychedelics just uh, really helped me see how we're all connected and, and how even though as individuals, we have our own biographical experiences that contribute to um, how we perceive ourselves in the world, that um, our experience of the world is also there. There's a thread that runs through all of us, this kind of human collective thread of of both human suffering, but as well as the human capacity for, for joy and connection and relationship. So I think psychedelics have helped me uh, really see people as, as really embedded within a, a, a larger framework that, influ that is both influenced uh, by the individual as well as influences the individual. Hmm. That's a really interesting answer. Thank you for that, that depth there. What, what psychedelic do you find most exciting from a clinical perspective from through your experience? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I have obviously a biased experience because most of my work has been with MDMA. And so that's what I've been primarily focused on. And, and I do believe that a lot of our, a lot of symptoms that people experience that are often categorized as depression, anxiety, I think often have roots in trauma. So I think that it's really important for us to heal trauma because I think that it, it really is a root cause of, of many other symptoms. So I feel, I, I, I do get really excited about MDMA and the, and the continued potential of MDMA for the treatment of trauma. And I think that it's important to state too that you know all psychedelics have their place. Uh, they all have also everyone responds and reacts differently to different psychedelics. And so I think that we'll start seeing um, as substances are decriminalized, as they are medicalized, as they're rescheduled, we'll start to be able to open the door to the vast potential of all of these unique, distinct psychedelics. But I think that eventually the, the vision <laughs> is that, you know, that there'll be many different psychedelics accessible and available for people to use in a healing capacity or eventually for, you know, for personal use as well to be able to explore for people who are healthy without the fear of uh, legal repercussions. So um, I think the future is is that, you know, is that people will be able to, to call on and bring in the different potentials of different psychedelics. But yeah, I, I'm definitely, because I've been doing the research in MDMA I, and seeing the, the transformations that people go through, um, I definitely am really excited about the future of, of MDMA. One thing that I think is really cool about what you do and, and what Rick Doblin does and kind of the MAPS mission 
is that, I mean, partly what you're focusing on is psychedelics within the clinical setting, what it can do with therapy. But also, if you're talking about harm reduction, it's generally about the ways that people deal with psychedelics when they're not in a therapeutic setting. So you're kind of, you're walking the line here. And I understand that the way that psychedelics are going to be sort of accepted by society is through a a medicalized or psychotherapeutic model. But yeah, this is just sort of an open-ended question. Do you find that the most potential for good happens within the therapeutic context where you have these, um, these like a team of therapists helping people out? Or do you feel that it could happen within the framework of a peer-to-peer festival-based um, setting? Yeah, well, uh, one thing that I, I think, I, I believe that there's actually multiple pathways towards uh, societal integration of psychedelics. And we see that now. We see that um, the policies are changing and um, politics are changing. And um, with the recent election, really seeing you know these multiple cities and states, uh, I, it becoming sort of a bipartisan, like Republicans, Democrats, everyone kind of saying, actually, uh, yeah, let's uh, decriminalize these substances. And so I think that we are starting to see that there's big political shifts and, and changes. And I think that we're getting, so we're getting there by different routes. I think medicalization is one route, decriminalization is another route. And for everyone has their uh, their route. So some some people will only want to explore psychedelics within a therapeutic medical setting uh, in in therapy, and uh, also may only be interested in psychedelics if it is through that medical framework. You know, like some people are just more attuned with with that way of doing things. And then I think that they'll be emerging community models of wellness and health where where people are not taking not using that dominant uh, medical system but are exploring psychedelics through either community health frameworks like peer support or just in community and it's frustrating that i think what we've had to do now is we've had to um, a lot of things that people just a lot of people knew uh, psychedelic explorers and researchers a lot of things that were um it may be obvious to some people of the potential healing and therapeutic benefits of um, different psychedelics um, because of prohibition and the war on drugs. We've now had to prove uh, <laughs> that these substances have value. Why do you think that there's this kind of curiosity um, around social justice by the players in the field of psychedelics? Can you talk a little bit about the effort by MAPS to make this a broad-based initiative that is accessible to a lot of people and highlights a lot of voices? I think one of the things that people can at times, not always, but some of the things that people might recognize or become aware of when they're on a psychedelic, in a psychedelic state, is our interconnection. And the awareness that, um, as we were talking about earlier, um, that there's this, this thread of, uh, that connects us all. And I think that if you just stop there and don't actually do the work to integrate those realizations into actual activism, into actual on the ground work to dismantle systems of oppression, systems of racism, it's lazy <laughs> and it, it is um, 
ineffective. And it's important for us to, I think, to recognize that, you know, these, these systems of oppression, um, they have influenced and they have been embedded within the framework of um, the psychedelic movement, just as they're embedded within the framework of, of all aspects of society right now. So I think uh, what people are waking up to and um, starting to become aware of within the psychedelic movement is um, that it has been very white. It has been um, very disproportionately focused on white people. And we, we, especially because MAPS focuses on trauma and the healing of trauma and treating trauma. And we know that trauma affects um, communities of color at a disproportionate level. We can't ethically treat trauma without also ensuring that we are making sure that our efforts, that we are focused on accessibility and making sure that we are getting this, this care and this treatment out to everyone. And especially those who within our society who have been the most harmed, um, the most marginalized. And, you know, traditionally we see with, with medicine and therapy that the available services and care for people of color has, is, is grossly less. And so it's, important as an organization if we're focusing on the healing of trauma to to make sure that we include everyone and that includes the people who are receiving treatment and the people who are in the studies and once it is approved um, by the fda in the future for the people who are receiving the treatment once it's approved as well as for the therapists and training therapists of color to ensure um, that we have a diversity of therapists who are able to bring this uh, work into their communities. Thank you so much for, for speaking to that. That was really um, eloquent. And, and it, it makes so much sense when you bring in this focus on trauma. It's really all about the, all about the trauma. Could you talk a little bit about the ways that MDMA can be effective with regards to trauma in a clinical setting? Yeah. So first, it's really important to name that what MAPS is doing is MDMA-assisted psychotherapy. So it's uh, not just people receiving the, the drug, it's in conjunction with psychotherapy. And um, that we are looking about how it may be useful for treating PTSD. And um, we're still learning about how MDMA um, impacts the brain and help kind of the mechanisms of action for how it might work. Um, but some things that we do know about MDMA is that it can help to uh, attenuate the fear response of uh, any perceived threat um, to, you know, a threat to sense of self, a sense of safety. It can decrease uh, defensiveness and it can do that without blocking access to past traumatic, traumatic memories and um, it also can allow people to potentially have a, a deep and genuine experience of emotions as it relates to the trauma and um, what we've what we uh, think some of what we think is happening is that the elimination of kind of these patterned conditioned fear responses that come up when people try to treat trauma and this naturally come up 
um, can lead to a more open and comfortable communication about these past traumatic experiences and then greater access to any information about them. So one of the biggest challenges in psychotherapy when you're treating trauma um, without, without MDMA or just in general, is that when people try to talk about their trauma or feel it or process past traumatic memories, that this fear response really keeps them from being able to access and process this, these memories. So um, the participants are able to experience and express different emotions that relate to the trauma, like anger and grief, with, a, with less likelihood of those feelings overwhelming them completely. It also seems to to help support uh, internal awareness that even our most painful feelings and memories that might arise are also a potentially important part of our growth and of the therapeutic process. And then some of the other things that we are learning is that, um, you know, in addition, like feelings of of empathy and appreciation and connection and love can emerge and that can support the the healing process as well so it's it's not just about processing challenging difficult memories and emotions but it's also helping people connect to um, a sense of of love and a, a sense of wellness and um connection with their, what we call in this, in the research, what we call the inner healer or the inner wisdom, be able to connect with some part of ourselves that is able to um, be present and, and um, that we're able to connect to in this, in this MDMA experience. And that's something that I think can emerge potentially with other psychedelics as well. Um, that connection to a sense of our own, our own inner wisdom. So yeah, these are, are some of the, the things that we're, that we have been seeing in the MDMA assisted psychotherapy. Mm, that's great. Thank you so much for that, that informational piece. It's really helpful. My last question for you is, do you share what Michael Pollan has called a kind of evangelical enthusiasm for psychedelics? So like, in, in other words, are there moments when you believe in the capacity of psychedelics themselves to bestow a knowledge of unity, oneness, connectedness that might affect some of the views and policy on some of the subjects we've discussed, such as racism or environmentalism? <laughs> An evangelical perspective. <laughs> um, I, I think that, yeah, I think that psychedelics absolutely um, have the power to, what was the term that you used? The power to inform. I, I think that psychedelics can help unlock and make us aware of, of a lot of things that we're not aware of. And I think that they can catalyze awareness and transformation in people. But I think that it's really, Im not, it's really important to not think of them as some magic uh, pill or plant <laughs> or fungi <laughs> that's just going to um, solve all the problems. I think that there's, there's a lot of danger in in framing psychedelics as like a cure-all or that they're that psychedelics alone are going to get us there i think that um, the work ahead of us really requires deep healing on an individual level and also um, that the ind individual healing doesn't in and of itself uh, translate to institutional healing and we're needing to do some really big institutional healing on our planet right now 
And um, of course, institutions are made up of individuals. And so um, the more that we can have people, whether it's via psychedelics or many other ways that people are able to um, heal uh, decades, if not centuries of transgenerational trauma um, and the way that we continue to perpetuate those cycles of trauma on one another, that needs to be attended to. And so I think that, yes, I believe that there is great power and, and potential um, for, the, uh, for the integration of psychedelics into society. And I believe that it will, that they have the potential to help um, catalyze and potentially speed up that process. And, and we do need things to happen relatively uh, quickly right now. Um, <laughs> things, yeah, we're, I, I'm an optimist and, um, you know, there's, we really need help. And so I think that, um, yeah, these, I believe that these substances are here to assist us. They are not in and of themselves inherently going to shift those, uh, those structures that continue to keep people locked into um, old uh, colonialist paradigms and, and framework, frameworks in, in which they're seeing the world through things like uh, greed and you know the, the sort of things that continue to drive inequity and re-traumatization so yeah I, I think hopefully that answers the question yes and um, or maybe no and I don't know but <laughs> yeah well, great Sarah thank you so much for joining us today I got a lot out of our conversation and, and learned a lot and, and good luck with your continuing work in this field Thank you so much, Sam. Yeah, really good to speak with you today. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Voices of Esalen. Today's show is produced in conjunction with Peter Kobabe, Terry Gilby, and Michelle McCrary. Our music is by Nico Holloman. The Esalen Institute is a nonprofit organization. Our show is made possible by your contribution.